0: All right, Exodus chapter 3. And uh, we're looking at some neat things here today. A bit of an outline. We're going to try to get into two chapters here tonight as we're trying to just move through. But chapter 3 gets into the calling of Moses, that commission of Moses. Uh, then we see Moses' excuses that he gives, and God's responses that Moses has returned now to Egypt and God's faithfulness, all right? That's kind of the outline we're looking at. So where we've left off is, is that Moses of course, he kind of grows up in Egypt in the in, in you know, Pharaoh's household, like he's living in the lap of luxury, right? This guy is is in royalty and yet he realizes and discovers and knows that he's a, a Hebrew. And he sees his Hebrew people out there and he wants to see kind of how things are going with them and he sees them being mistreated he goes and steps in to help one of his Hebrew brothers and ends up killing one of the Egyptians and burying them and then word gets out of course and so Moses flees here's Moses thinking well am I the guy that God needs to be the deliverer and he steps in to kind of take action on himself and it doesn't go well for him so he ends up in Midian and that's where we pick up the story he's with his father-in-law Jethro and that's where we see here chapter 3 now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro's father-in-law the priest of Midian and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb the mountain of God and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush so he looked and behold the bush was burning with fire but the bush was not consumed this is interesting stuff here. Now, again, why was Moses here in Midian when it seems apparent that God has great things in store for Moses? Well, here he is in Midian, this kind of desert area, because it's a time of of preparation and purging for Moses. See, for Moses to be able to begin to shepherd a whole entire nation, this Jewish nation that's been growing in egypt for the last 400 years for moses to go and shepherd this nation properly he's gonna have to learn the art of shepherding this is new to him so here he is being brought to the school of hard knocks in a sense right where he's learning firsthand how to shepherd how to get a little bit dirty how to kind of do these things that god is ultimately going to be leading him to do working with people can be very dirty and messy, and so he's learning it firsthand here what this is going to be like. But see, the Lord will oftentimes have us show our faithfulness in a few things before he moves us on to bigger things. Joseph's life wasn't much different, Paul had to go through a time of training in Arabia before he was sent off on his mission journeys and writing scripture. Paul had to learn in the desert in a sense. Galatians 1 verse 15 to 18 tells us that very clearly here. Preparing him for fruitful ministry there in the desert. God will oftentimes take us through the desert experiences before we experience the oasis, the the blessing of what God ultimately is leading us to and and you see those desert experiences are not meant to hurt us or just cause us suffering for suffering's sake as sometimes we think it's all about but rather it's meant to teach us that dependency on god and to trust fully in him moses is going to be learning to do that as we see this chapter unfold here now it says that he led the flock to the back of the desert in verse 1 and came to horeb The mountain of God. Horeb is Mount Sinai. It's often called the the mountain of God in scriptures because here's where there's going to be some very transformative, important, revolutionary or revelationary things that are going to be happening for Moses and the people of, of Israel. They're on Mount Sinai. This will be a very significant site in the Exodus story. Now, it's traditionally located in the south center of the Sinai Peninsula, associated with Jebel Musa Mountain. Some believe, some believe it may have actually been east of the Gulf of Aqaba, as you see here, and into the northwestern Saudi Arabia region. There's been some debate over whether this was the actual site of Mount Sinai, or going back here, if this is the again the traditional site of Mount Sinai. It, it's it's up for debate but it's not really a debate we need to really lose any sleep over all right all we know is that there's a mountain that God met with his people and Moses here is taking the sheep to Mount Horeb there in in, in Midian there and it's called the mountain of God it's a significant mountain so what is really something to kind of talk about and something to behold is to see a bush that's burning and yet is not being consumed. That's incredible, look at what we read So we continue on in verse three of chapter three. It says, then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. And then God said, do not draw near this place take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground moreover he said I'm the God of your father the God of Abraham the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob and Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God so here first of all Moses sees this burning bush and it's like it's kind of funny he's like having a I will now and look at what this bush is all about it's like you know it's like no duh you know like there's a bush burning I've been consumed Moses I'm sure is very intrigued at this but what's interesting is we see here that the angel of the Lord came and, and, and spoke to him verse 2 the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush the angel of the Lord every time you see the angel of the Lord in in the Old Testament this is a a reference angel just simply means messenger and and it could be a reference to to many people but here we see the angel of the Lord being most likely a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ this is not just a theophany I believe this is a Christophany this is Jesus Christ as we've seen uh, other places in the book of Genesis as we'll see through the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord. If you've got a New King James, you'll see that the angel is capitalized here, signifying deity, the angel of the Lord, pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, Jesus speaking to Moses from the bush. Now what's interesting is the bush has oftentimes been seen here as a, a, a symbol or picture of Israel. Though they have gone through fiery trials and nations have tried to exterminate them, Israel has never been consumed they continue to exist they continue to be I think we see and that's a very fitting picture no doubt but I think we see another wonderful picture illustration or application for us here see the bush if, if you look at the the Hebrew word being used for bush here it speaks of a thorny bush a thorny bush where thorns oftentimes reminding us of in Scripture so it's a result of the curse, the curse of sin. Thorns began to grow up and Jesus was given a, a crown of thorns as he was taken to the cross as he would be or bear that curse of sin for you and me. And then fire symbolizes judgment. Here's this thorny bush that's on fire, this judgment that's coming upon it, this fire in the midst of this thorn bush. But, but again, we see that the bush is not consumed. You see, here's a great picture for us, is that you and I needed to have sin judged and it should have ultimately consumed us because the cost, the wages of sin, is death. But in God's grace, He judges our sin through His Son and we are not consumed. Who's in the midst of the bush? The angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, who's taking the, the judgment for you and me to where we're not consumed. To where we have been spared and saved hallelujah for that it's not a wonderful reminder for us to think about now for moses here to see a a burning bush in the hot desert was not a completely abnormal or unusual sight but to see a bush that was burning and yet not consumed or destroyed that was a sight to behold and notice that when moses turned to look and was focused on it that's when God began to speak to him. When Moses said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna investigate this. I'm gonna turn and look to see what's really going on. You know, there are times when we fail to hear from the Lord because we're not giving our full attention to him. You know, you may have times where you sit there and you open the word of God in the morning and you're just kind of more consumed with the thought of what needs to get done today. And we're failing to give our full attention to the Lord to say, I'm going to turn and look into the Word of God because I want to hear what this is all about. I want to hear what God has got to say to me today. And I think it's so important that we're not letting ourselves be distracted or just kind of continuing on with the activities in front of us, but taking time to say, "What Lord do you have to say to me? what What do you want me to learn today and grow in as a result of being in your Word today?" Moses does just that. Oftentimes. You know, that's the reason why we find ourselves in, in the desert, in dry times in our lives, because we're getting distracted, we're getting focused on other stuff, rather than just turning to the Lord and saying, God, what do you have for me? What do you want to say to me? God wants to develop in us a, a trust and a dependency upon him. Moses may not have stopped at this moment had he still been involved, you know, politically in Egypt. If he's still thinking about, man, I got to get back there, I got to see what's going on in Egypt. He may never have had that opportunity to really encounter the lord in this moment if he had not stopped and given full attention to it now what's interesting is as he's drawing in and the and the lord speaking to him god says in verse 5 don't draw near this place take your saddles off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground now a quick lesson in god's holiness and our unholiness here You, you take your shoes off when you enter the house typically so they don't track dirt all over the place right you do it to kind of because things are clean you want to keep it clean Moses here removes his shoes not to say he's clean now but simply to show reverence towards the holiness and the purity of God Moses began to see something very important with God here is that God is a holy God now Moses also hides his face because as he's seeing the, the holiness of God he's now realizing his own unworthiness in the light of God's holiness whenever we come into the presence of God we should be keenly aware of our unworthiness it's what happened to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 you know I'm a man undone man of unclean lips, he sees his sinfulness. Peter saw that when the Lord did a great work when they were out fishing one day, and and Peter in Luke 5, 8 says, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. He falls to his knees before Jesus, depart, Jesus get away from me. I'm too unworthy, I'm a sinful man. It's something that we should be keenly aware of when we are approaching God is our own unworthiness and sinfulness throughout the Old Testament very few people could could approach or come near to that tabernacle of meeting because that's where God would be dwelling and it was a holy place and many if they did it unworthily would die serious stuff so what hope do we have then to approach a holy God how can we mere mortals ever come into the presence of a holy God simple we needed to become holy ourselves and that's exactly why God sent his son to this world to make us holy it says in Colossians 1 verse 21 22 and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works yet now he's reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight throughout the old testament boy that had jumped through a lot of hoops sacrifice after sacrifice it was a bloody affair just to come and worship god but here now through jesus christ he comes and he presents us holy he's the one that took the fire of god's judgment for our sin so that we could not be so we would not be consumed so that we could be made holy and blameless and now be reconciled to the father where he doesn't see our sinfulness but he sees christ's righteousness in and through us jesus has done that work for us praise the Lord for that what a great blessing we've received and verse 7 and the Lord said I've surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters for I know their sorrows so I've come down to, to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, all the Perizzites, they're all included in that. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Verse 10, come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, I love this here because God says, I've come down to deliver them. I've come down to deliver your people, but also it says to bring them up from that land to a good and large land. I've come to deliver, but not just to lead out, but to bring them into something different. I'm thankful that god not only delivers us from something negative he's freed us from sin but now he's brought us into something positive he's redeemed us out of sin and death so that he can bring us into life and blessing abundant life eternal life the hope of heaven now we've been rescued from something and not just from something but to something god didn't say i'm just going to bring you out of egypt and after that well good luck Hope you guys find your way to somewhere he does not i'm gonna take you out but i'm gonna bring you in to the land flowing with milk and honey how awesome would that be i can't imagine what a land flowing milk and honey would be like are you just like bathing in this milk are you just like soaking it? that'd be pretty amazing wouldn't it but it's it's so good see we're not just spared we're spoiled in christ we've been set free from sin but now we've been brought into the abundant life in and through him and and God said to Moses there in verse 10 come now therefore and I will send you to Pharaoh now we all know right that God could have easily have done this work in and of himself right doesn't need Moses in fact God could have spared himself so much agony if he had just done it himself said Moses Just watch and see what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna bring the people. In fact, Moses, just wait here, okay? Just please don't get, just wait here and I'll bring the people to you and then you guys can go. He says, Moses, I'm gonna send you. I'm gonna have you do the work. See, God loves to partner with us and to have us partner with him in the work that he does in, 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 in accomplishing his purposes doesn't need us but he loves to work with us and there's something wonderful that happens as we begin to partner with the lord as as we begin to grow we begin to see firsthand what god is doing and and how god is doing it it's it's always a path of glory not grief serving the lord working with the lord is not to bring frustration but fun in our lives he invites us in to partner with him and see firsthand that amazing work that he does are you willing to go when God says, come, are you, are you willing to jump ahead and say, yes, Lord, here I am, send me. Or are you one that tends to go, Lord, really? Do you, do you really want to use me? God, I'm a little bit busy right now. I got a few things. Moses was in that camp. Look at what we see, because we're going to look at a number of excuses now, five excuses that Moses gives first excuse now as we look at his excuses and god's response first excuse moses says god i lack the credentials i lack credentials in doing so look at what he says in verse 11 but moses said to god and that's a big word but right there because it's like here's god set it all up moses i've just showed my power in a fire in a bush that didn't burn i mean you should be high hightening out of here going all right god we're in i'm there but Verse 11, but wait a second, but God, wait a second. Who am I, he says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Verse 12, so God said, I will certainly be with you and this shall be a sign to you that I sent you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. See, instead of Moses answering, here am I, send me. Moses replies with, who am I? Send me? Are you serious, God? Me? This is how Moses is replying. Now, there's some good humility here, perhaps, which is important, but sometimes we let our own feeling of insufficiency be an excuse for not answering God's call. See, Moses didn't have to worry about who he was if he fully comprehended who was sending him this is what Moses has to learn here see our sufficiency is certainly not of ourselves nobody should be feeling sufficient themselves but our own insufficiency should not be an excuse to step out in faith Paul would say in 2nd Corinthians 3 verse 5 not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves but our sufficiency is from God that's where where and why we can begin to step out of faith because we realize it's not about me, it's not in my power, my might, it's it's in the Lord, our sufficiency is from God. When we understand who calls us and equips us, we don't have to wonder about the how's or the what's or the why's. We understand that God enables us and he goes before us to accomplish his purposes. That's what the Lord says right there in in verse 12. I will certainly be with you. Moses, stop coming up with excuses. I'm going to be with you see the call to God's service always comes with the, the promise of God's presence the call to God's service always comes with the promise of God's presence there are many examples of that in the Bible when Joshua inherited that that, that mantle of spiritual leadership God promised him as I was with Moses so I'll be with you I'll never leave you nor forsake you great promise God made the same promise to Gideon, who was too timid to lead the troops into battle. God said, I will be with you. God also promised to be a Jeremiah, who was only a youngster when he was called to be a prophet. God said, don't be afraid. Why? Because I'm with you. Me, God, I will be with you. Don't fear, don't worry. But that promise is not just for great heroes of the faith in the Old Testament. It's not just for the people of israel it's a promise that he's given to all of us in and through jesus christ when jesus said surely i'm with you always to the very end of the age i'm with you right to the end never leave us nor forsake us and in making that promise god has given himself to us forever and for always and now that we have that promise of his eternal presence What more could we need or even want? God God wants Moses to know that the most important thing about his mission is just God himself. Being with God, knowing God. And in fact, God's going to really begin to reveal himself even more so to Moses to really fill this in for him. Because Moses' second excuse now is here in verse 13. We've seen He feels he lacks credentials secondly he's feeling like he lacks content notice what he says here verse 13 then moses said to god indeed when i come to the children of israel and say to them the god of your fathers has sent me to you and they say to me what is his name what what shall i say to them it's lacking content who who do i say what's the story here how do i fill this in for people and and god verse 14 said to Moses I am who I am and he said thus you shall say to the children of Israel I am has sent me to you moreover God said to Moses thus you you shall say to the children of Israel the Lord God of your fathers the God of Abraham the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you this is my name forever and this is my memorial to all generations so Moses is kicking into overdrive with excuses they just keep piling up here He's wondering what if the children ask this, or what if they want that? What about this? What about that? Moses was being moved outside of his comfort zone, and he's feeling the pressure right now. He starts imagining all that could go wrong, rather than just thinking about all that God would do right. He's <laughs> just imagining what, what if they do this? What do they say that? What if what if I can't answer in that way? What if I don't know the? What about this? What about that? Filled with worry, you know. Israel never did ask Moses what God's name was. This is all stuff that Moses is just circling through his mind, thinking up the what is. The what is, you know. We often bring upon ourselves a lot of needless worry and anxiety when we dwell on the what is. When we dwell upon the things that could go wrong. You're trying to sleep. It's well after bedtime, but you're tossing, turning, and unable to get comfy, and. You're doing so because you notice yourself replaying the same scenario in your head, some vision of tomorrow of what might happen. How a hope could be dashed. You know, if you've had that experience, you're not alone. Researcher Lucas Lafreniere, PhD said, this is what breaks my heart about worry. It makes you miserable in the present moment to try and prevent misery in the future. Makes you miserable in the present to try to prevent misery in the future. For chronic worriers this process leads them to be continually distressed all their lives in order to avoid later events that never happen worry sucks the joy out of the here and now in his study on worry participants were asked to record their worries and how they caused distress and interfered with their lives each night at 10 pm they reported how much time they spent thinking on each specific worry throughout the day then 20 days after that period they reviewed each entry and reported whether any of those worries had actually come true. The good news is the Frenier study found that in a survey of worrisome people 91.4% of their worries never actually happened. All just self-imposed worry and fear. Worrying caused only more misery and did nothing to help the warriors handle whatever they had been worrying about. That's mainly because the, whole, the hotly anticipated events never transpired, remember? what jesus tells us in matthew 6 25 can you any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life not at all so god's response to moses is a powerful one stop worrying about the the what is just look at the who god says i am who i am simply put god is God is. God is what? God is everything. God always was, always will be. He's everything we need in every particular situation. Well, what about this worry over here? Yeah, God is. God is able to help you. God is able to overcome that. God is able to lead you through. Well, what about this situation? Yeah, God is. He's able. I am who I am, he says. I am for you, whatever your need may be. That's a wonderful truth and reality for us as believers today. Now, scholars are are divided over whether the name of God when it's being asked here is in verse 14 when he says, I am, or whether it's in verse 15 when he pronounces the Lord. In actuality, I see these names being very closely tied together. The word for I am is the Hebrew verb, haya, which means to be. And the name Lord is Yahweh, which means the existing one. Ultimately tied together. To be means ultimately the the existing one. The name Lord, as seen in verse 15, is sometimes called the Tetragrammaton because in Hebrew, it consists simply of four letters, Y-H-W-H, and the Jews considered these letters to be so sacred that later some of them even refused to pronounce the Lord's name for fear of taking it in vain. Perhaps that's why the, the proper way to pronounce the divine name has been forgotten. Part of the problem too is that the most ancient Hebrew manuscripts do not contain any vowels they're only consonants so YHWH so today nobody really knows the, the, the correct name or pronunciation whether it's Jehovah or Yehovah Yahweh or Yahweh whenever a Jewish student or scholar sees his tetragrammaton they will often just simply read Lord in its place which in the Hebrew is Adonai even if the pronunciation is uncertain here's what we do know God's name has never been forgotten And He is, He is all things to us, whatever your worry or fear or doubt may be, He is able to come in and and overcome that, strengthen you and lead you through. He's the existing one. He's not here one day, gone the next. He's not the God of just the patriarchs or the Old Testament. He's the same God then as He is today. The divine name, Yahweh, has suggested to scholars a range of likely nuances of meaning. First of all, that God is self-existent and therefore not dependent on anything else for his own existence. That God is the creator and sustainer of all that exists. Thirdly, that God is immutable in his being and character and thus is not in the process of becoming something different from what he is. He's the same yesterday, today and forever, as Hebrews 13.8 tells us. And lastly, that God is eternal in his existence self-existent he's a sustainer of all things he's immutable it doesn't change he's eternal in his existence the word Yahweh or Jehovah like I said simply means the existing one or or self-subsisting he doesn't need anything he's in the bush and the bush is burning he doesn't need any fuel for that fire the bush isn't fuel He's a fire on its own because He doesn't need any outside source. He doesn't need any kind of fuel. He is self-existing, self-subsisting. And As God declares His name, I am, He's saying, I exist not just in, at the real time, but I'm existing before you right now. He's eternally existent and presently available and before us. With God, there's no before or after, there's just the now. He's eternal, not bound by time. He's everything today that he has always been, there's no change with him. The same God that spoke to Moses there at the mountain of God in that burning bush is the same God we worship today. And as present as he was when he met with Moses in the burning bush, he's as present with us as we gather in his name and worship him. And this name, I am, is an important one because it's how Jesus identified himself often in the book of John. The book of John centers around seven I am statements that that Jesus makes. And at one time when Jesus is referencing this name, Jesus was using this, no doubt, to speak of his divinity and the Jews knew that full well. They knew exactly when Jesus pronounced I am that he's identifying himself with the name of God right here in Exodus chapter three. Why? Because when Jesus said it in John eight, Verse 58 to 59, he said to them, Most assuredly I say to you before Abraham was I am. And then they took up stones to throw at him. The Jews, these religious leaders, knew exactly what he was implying and meaning and stating when he gave that name, I am. They thought that's blasphemy. That only that's God. You're, you're declaring yourself to be God. That's why they picked up stones to stone him. They saw this as blasphemous reason enough to take his life, but Jesus is our great I am. He's not only the God we worship, he's our savior who has saved us and he is eternally existent and is our ever-present help in need. That's the name of God. This is the first time that it's used in this way here as he speaks with, with Moses from the burning bush as he calls Moses. Verse 16, so, continuing on, God just continues to unfold and, and, and just share this kind of identity and majesty of God. He says, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I'll bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt, to the land of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, to land flowing with milk and honey. Then they will heed your voice, and you shall come. You and the others of Israel, to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God." So again, God referencing, I am the God of Abraham of Isaac and of Jacob. Same thing that Jesus quoted to reference. it's not the God of the living or the God of the dead, but the God of the living. It's not, I was the God of Abraham. It's, I am the God of. These people are alive. The God of the living. But then God here now gives Moses some interesting instruction. Tell Pharaoh that you're gonna go for a three day's journey. A three day journey, What's God implying here, a three-day journey, because wasn't this to be an exodus out of Egypt once and for all, not just a camp out for three days, to return back? Why three days here? What we're seeing is ultimately the hardness and stubbornness of Pharaoh, that he wouldn't even want his, this people, the Hebrew people, to leave for even three days. Verse 19 goes on to say, but I'm sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. See, God's sharing that ahead of time with Moses. No, not even with a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I'll do in its midst, and after that he will let you go. Verse 21. And I'll give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty-handed, but every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters so you shall plunder the Egyptians wouldn't that be just a great kind of commandment to have just anytime you move just go to your neighbors (laughs) say God's told me I need to take some goods here but it's an exciting thing because God's restoring and rewarding now all their years of labor that they perhaps may have thought was in vain you know God's rewarding them for that God's repaying them for that there's no work that ever goes in vain when it's done for the Lord God sees and God rewards now this is an exciting passage we read there because when you consider Jesus was in the belly of the earth for three days providing a great deliverance here's pictured in verse 18 with that three-day journey and it said in Ephesians 4 8 to 9 that he led captivity Free and he gave gifts to men. Again, these gifts here are just payments for their years of labor now. but a great picture. Three days journey here to go. So we've seen two excuses. I lack the credentials, Moses says. I lack content. Who do I say? What's this all about? Now we see third excuse here in verse uh, 1 of chapter 4. Moses is feeling that he lacks converts. Blacks converts, are people really gonna listen? Then Moses, verse one here, answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. See, Moses is now kind of crossing a line from humility to just simple unbelief. He's just completely doubting God now. God already said in chapter three, verse 18, that they will listen, but Moses is thinking now, I can't do this. They just don't like me. I'm just not popular enough. Listen, God's not asking you to go out and win a popularity contest. He's just calling you to be obedient with what He shows you, with what He's calling you to do. He's the one that takes care of the results. We just need to be faithful, and He takes care of the fruit. He's calling Moses, and at times we may feel like we just don't have the ability, or we don't have the giftings. We're going to look really bad, but God reveals something so wonderful in the next verse. Look at what he says in verse two. The Lord said to him, hey, Moses, what is that in your hand? What's that in your hand? He said, it's a rod, and he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he actually reached out his hand and caught it. And it became a rod in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has indeed appeared to you. Moses, what is that in your hand? See, what's God doing? Moses, listen, I will work with you, and I'll work through you. And I I will use whatever gifting and ability you have. Ultimately, it's the Lord that equips us. But here's Moses with a rod in his hand, just a a shepherding staff that was very common. It was an important instrument in the hands of a shepherd as they're going about uh, shepherding out in the desert. Not only are they they guiding sheep with it, but they're also warding off any kind of wild animals. that might come their way, they're able to pull out a sheep that maybe got caught in in a rut or something like that. And it's there, an important instrument. Something that I'm sure Moses would have thought, what good is this going to do you ever feel like that well God you know I've got this talent or gifting but what good is that going to do God just simply says what's in your hand what do you have what what are some of those supernatural natural giftings that the Lord has equipped us with that when we make available God will do great things with it God did the same with David simply a sling what good, what good can a sling do? Look at everybody lined up for battle. Look at all they got. David's got a sling and five stones. It's all it needed. What about Samson? What he got there? Just a donkey's jawbone, yet slays an army with it. And with the young boy who had the five loaves and two fish, what good could that do with 5,000? God says, just give me what's in your hand. Be faithful. Be available. And I'll use that. What's in your hand today? see again god doesn't need degrees and credentials he works with what you have in your hand when it's opened and available for him to use god's showing that to to moses now that would be quite a a shock throw down your staff first of all a shepherd would be like my staff man i can't throw this down on the ground this is important to me but throw it down he throws it down it becomes a snake and then not only that but he's told i mean moses flees God's like moses get get back here we're not done yet come on there's just just you wait go ahead and pick it up by the tail no wait a minute pick it up you'd never pick up listen i don't have a lot of experience in this but i know you don't pick up a snake by the tail because it can move its head right back and bite you in an instant right anybody ever picked up a snake by a tail before it's not a good idea to do it okay you survived though you're here okay all right you pick up a snake by the back of the head that way it's not gonna be able to bite you god says to do something that would not be normal or seemingly practical pick it up by the tail see moses is having to learn to trust the lord to trust the lord he's having his faith built up and seeing god helping those areas that might otherwise be very uncomfortable now this is really interesting because this whole scene is really acting in direct confrontation of the Egyptian symbol of deity. the cobra represented the national god in Lower Egypt representations of snakes were all over Egypt on their walls on helmets on monuments the Pharaoh as you see pictured picture there had the symbol of a snake on his headpiece this transformation of the rod to a snake is a sign of the power of God over the alleged power of Egypt and Pharaoh of their deities turning that snake right back to a rod again God showing listen whatever you might think Egypt has in their back pocket I'm greater I'm able to overcome they've got nothing on me so he's showing his power over this snake here just as Jesus would crush that serpent's head on the cross God too would overrule whatever dependence or power Egypt was trusting in Verse 6, furthermore, the Lord said to him, Now put your hand in your bosom. He's not done yet. You think that was great? Check this out. Put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, Put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand back in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom and behold it was restored like his other flesh verse 8 then it'll be if they do not believe you nor heed the message of the first sign that they may believe the message of the latter sign and it shall be if they do not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice that you shall take water from the river and pour it on the dry land the water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land so Here the Lord is just giving Moses an artillery of signs now to say, listen, if they don't believe you, I'm gonna be with you and I'm gonna demonstrate my power through you. The snake, a symbol of Satan, leprosy, a symbol of sin, yet God just overcomes both. And yet with all these signs now that Moses begins to see and witness, not just being told about, it's not like God's saying, listen, if they give you any trouble try this do this sign and see how he doesn't just say try this down the road he demonstrates it right then and there that God's with them God's real and yet with all these signs that God is being faithful to show Moses Moses is still looking to come up with excuses excuse number four Moses says well I I lack communication skills I can't speak too well. Look at what he says in verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, hey, who's made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say see Moses kind of believes like he's just not capable of speaking well Lord okay you give me all the signs all the demonstrations that's great I'm I'd be willing Lord but I'm just not able to speak it's not gonna really work too well and yet that wasn't the case before Acts 7 verse 22 And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Huh. Moses. See, he was an articulate speaker before, but for the last 40 years, he's been preaching to sheep. And every sermon was bad, let me tell you. (laughs) See, his time in the desert certainly broke him of all confidence in himself but it shouldn't have swayed him from his confidence in the Lord he's been broken to a point where now he's just feeling like, I am incapable but again incapability is not a reason to not go forward it's actually the re- the prerequisite to step out and be used of the Lord God's not looking for able gifted, qualified people. He's looking for simply available people. People are saying, I am weak, but in my weakness, Lord, I know you're strong. And so God, here I am. You need to do the work. It's not me. It's not me that that can do that. You know, I remember hearing about this recent graduate from seminary and he was invited to come and preach at a large church and this man was just so excited to preach and he thought, Man, I'm gonna prepare just the best sermon and I'm just gonna give it my all and these guys are gonna be so blessed and he had all of his notes together and he was just so full of himself and they they um, welcomed him, introduced him, and he came walking up just feeling so great and just head up high and just full himself, and he went to put his notes down, everything just fell off all his papers and they got all mixed up and he was bummed and he couldn't get it all together and he's trying to preach and he was just barely getting through it. And he walked off just dejected, feeling like, man, I just bombed. And he went and sat down in the front and the little lady said, You know, if you went up the way you came down, you would have come down the way you went up. <laughs> and it's true. How we need just to be relying on the lord and filled with our confidence on ourselves but in in him ultimately moses was running out of excuses i love how the lord responds here moses who's in control the one who speaks or doesn't speak god gives sight he closes sight he's the one that is in control of all that happens we have no reason to lack any confidence in him But yet, well, excuse number five. Here's where it really gets down to it all. Moses says, I lack, or he reveals, I lack commitment ultimately. Notice what he says here in verse 13. But Moses said, oh my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. Send somebody else, I don't wanna do it. I don't wanna go. he's he's got no other excuses now other than just send somebody else and notice here in verse 14 so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses and he said is not Aaron the Levite your brother I know that he can speak well and look he's also coming out to meet you when he sees you he will be glad in his heart so the real heart of the issue is simply that Moses didn't want to go God never got upset with Moses when he said Who am I? Or, God, who are you? Who do I say has sent me? God never got upset when Moses questioned if people would really receive him or believe him. But the Lord's anger was kindled against Moses when he showed his unwillingness. The real issue was that Moses was unwilling. Not that he wasn't able, just unwilling. And sadly, there have been many that have missed out on seeing god do great things in and and through their lives because they've been unwilling to get out of their comfort zone and yield themselves to god whether you feel capable or not let god use you and lead you and surrender to him and you'll be blessed you are gonna experience great things as you surrender to the lord and allow him to leave you but see god will never force himself upon you if you choose to be unwilling you will only miss out on seeing the the greatness and the glory of god and the great things that he will do i don't want to miss out on those things that's why i want to be able to jump ahead by faith and say lord help me to be just willing to go help me to be willing just to follow you in what you're leading and calling us in verse 15 now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth With Aaron his brother and and I will be with your mother or with your mouth with your mother okay (laughs) he'll probably do that too but that's not what it says and I'll be with your mouth and with his mouth and I will teach you what you shall do so he shall be your spokesman to the people and he himself shall be as a mouth for you and you shall be to him as God and you shall take this rod in your hand with which you shall do the signs so God now has Aaron Moses brother be this spokesman and aid For him and Moses might be kind of breathing a sigh of relief here thinking oh thank you Lord I I don't have to be on the front lines Aaron can be the guy I can just kind of be I can be like the puppet master he'll be like the puppet it'll be great you know and I'm sure Moses kind of breathing a sigh of relief but little did Moses know what a problem Aaron would be at times Aaron certainly did turn out to be a source of problems for Moses Aaron instigated the worship of the golden calf Fashioned a a calf for the people of Israel to worship in place of God. Aaron's sons blasphemed God with impure offerings. And at one time, Aaron stood up to oppose Moses himself along with his sister Miriam. Confronted Moses saying, you're taking on too much yourself. Aaron was not a piece of cake to work with here. God gave Moses what he was really, requesting but it's not always to our benefit that's why we have to be hearing the lord listening to lord and following what he has for us not what we want i'm sure as each of those difficult encounters happened with aaron moses in the back of his mind was thinking i have only myself to blame for this why did i question god sure he's replaying that in his head over and over well there's the excuses that are given five excuses Moses is reluctant to go but now God's kind of nipped all those in the bud God's responded to him God's taken those excuses out of the way off the table and now Moses is ready to return back to Egypt it says in verse 18 so Moses went and returned to Jethro his father-in-law and said to him please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive and Jethro said to Moses go in peace Now the lord said to moses in midian go return to egypt for all the men who sought your life are dead then moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey and he returned to the land of egypt and moses took the rod of god in his hand and the lord said to moses when you go back to egypt see that you do all those wonders before pharaoh which i have put in your hand but i will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go verse 22 then you shall say to pharaoh Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed I will kill your son, your firstborn. So God lays it on pretty heavy right off the bat with Pharaoh here. He wants Pharaoh to see the seriousness of the situation. Ultimately that hardness of heart will result in death. You want to refuse what God wants to do? It's never going to be to your benefit refusing God leads to death and God is stating that right off the bat here in the seriousness of it verse 24 we see an interesting encounter here in scripture just like what man and it came to pass verse 24 it came to pass on the way they came in that the Lord met Moses and sought to kill him what Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So God let him go. Then she said, You're a husband of blood because of the circumcision. What a strange scene unfolding here. And as you know, we do whenever we come upon a strange scene like this, we just move down to the next verse. Um, Verse 27. (laughs) says Um, so basically what we see there in the text is that God was not gonna let Moses go any further until there was full obedience with what God has already called them to what what was Moses not obeying seems evident circumcision Circumcision was something that was to be a, a, a mark, a sign of God's people and the covenant that they had made. It's spelled out for us in Genesis 17. We're not going to jump into that. But Genesis 17, circumcision was to be the sign of the covenant that God had made with his people. And it's laid it out there in Genesis 17, verses 10 to 14. If you're taking notes, and I hope you are, write that down. But you see what's happening is that Moses hasn't circumcised his son. And, and the Lord just stops and says, Moses, it's time that we follow through in full obedience. See, Zipporah, his wife, wasn't an Israelite. And so she hasn't grown up with this tradition. Perhaps she's one that thought, this is brutal, this is barbaric, it's bloody, why would I ever do that to my son? It's not right. And perhaps she's said, we're not doing that. And Moses succumbed to that. And Moses didn't, follow through in the requirement that God had made in the covenant with his people. Moses seemingly listened to his wife rather than to God, and it nearly cost him his life. Moses had to learn wholehearted obedience before he could move on into the more bigger responsibilities in God, and so Zipporah takes that flint and just circumcises her son, and she's upset about it. Seems that perhaps this is a at this time too that Zipporah is sent back to her father uh, in Midian to Jethro and doesn't accompany him on the way there we'll continue on verse 27 and the Lord said to Aaron go into the wilderness to meet Moses so he went and met him on the mountain of God and kissed him so Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel and Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed and when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshiped. So the people believed just as God told Moses they would. Moses didn't have to worry about that. God had all taken care of. This walk of obedience and surrender, then what happened? It resulted in this great, they bowed their heads into worship. This this surrender to God and obedience to God just resulted now in just that sweetness of unity and worship before God. So a great couple chapters here that reveals to us again just the work that God wanted to do in Moses before he could do that great work through Moses. Dwight L. Moody said, Moses spent 40 years in Pharaoh's court thinking he was somebody, 40 years in the desert learning that he was nobody, and 40 years showing what God can do with a somebody who found out he was a nobody. (laughs) That's the kind of people that God loves to work through and with. Moses has come to learn that, and he's going to continue to walk in in that humility here now as he's recognizing, I'm nobody, but yet god can work through me and use me and accomplish all that he wants when we come and surrender fully to him and depend upon him completely may that be the statement of our lives may we be those that are walking in that obedience but trusting the lord every step of the way there are things that we don't always understand things we're not sure why god would you call me to this or lead me in that there's things we don't always understand but god says just step out in faith, trust me, rely upon me, and he takes care of all those details as is very clear here in the story with Moses. All right, we got another song? Let's, let's close with a song here and let's close in prayer and then let's stand together. Heavenly Father, we come before you here tonight and it's such a blessed time just to come and meet with you, God. Lord, thank you that you are the great I am, self-existent one, ever present. You're here with us today to meet with us, Lord. I thank you for the privilege we have to come before a holy and awesome God because of your son, Jesus Christ, who's made it all possible. So Lord, we worship you here tonight, and we pray, Lord, that if there's areas in our lives, God, that we have not yielded to you, that we've not surrendered, that we've been holding on or or making excuses for, God, I pray that we'd surrender those to you tonight. Say, Lord, I, I just want all of you, and I know that in order to have all of you, we need to give all of ourselves. We need to be emptied so that we can be filled more with you. So Lord, may we do that here tonight as we walk in submission, obedience, and surrender. Lord, may we just see you and know you more as a result. We live for you. I pray that you'd use us. Strengthen us, God, for all that you have. I ask this in your name, amen.